This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, September 24th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. New rules from the Labor Department mean home health care workers must be paid standard overtime rates. One problem, many workers might discover they don't like the new arrangement at all. Walter Olson, a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, says the change could be devastating for many disabled and elderly Americans who currently receive in-home care. So the Secretary of Labor, uh, Thomas Perez, says that almost 2 million home care workers are doing critical work providing services to people with disabilities and senior citizens who want to live in community settings and age in place in their family, familiar surroundings. But when it comes to getting paid, they're lumped into the same category as teenage babysitters. And he says it's wrong and unfair. So what has what the Labor Department done? The Labor Department has... <coughs> cut out most of what was called the companionship exemption. And this is a longstanding feature of federal wage and hour law, which uh, recognizes that the uh, (coughs) nature of work for a home companion, uh, often a full-time live-in, sometimes a uh, part-time (coughs) live-in, is simply different from, let's say, someone who works in a factory. And the companion may be there all the time, may be uh, the basic job may be to keep the elderly person from getting in trouble or to do things that the elderly person can't do for themselves, like cook for themselves, um, which requires potentially uh, being there all the time, which is why it's often live-in. And so the concept of overtime, which kind of makes sense if you're talking about the majority of the workforce working 9 to 5, just doesn't make as much sense, or so it was thought at least, until the Obama administration decided to yank out this exemption. Uh, it seems that a lot of groups were really very much against this what was called uh, leaders in the uh, disability community uh, were opposed to this? This was deeply controversial and uh, fought from many different uh, uh, perspectives. The, uh, it scares a lot of people in the uh, 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 elder care uh, area because uh, very often for older people, this is uh, what keeps them out of nursing homes is the possibility of getting home care. But the most sophisticated group in some ways are the highly disabled uh, because they uh, often uh, look forward to an entire uh, lifespan of relying on personal attendance support, and they've thought through the economic issues. And uh, so it was ADAPT, a well-known uh, handicapped rights group that blockaded all the exits to the Labor Department building earlier this year, uh, a protest that I saw nothing about in most of the media, <laughs> which demonstrates how seriously this is taken by some of the people who could be forced out of independent living and into institutional living. So e- effectively, what does this rule do? We're talking about overtime. The change is both minimum wage for the first time and overtime. The minimum wage side is not as important because it's more typical for people already to be getting close to that. It's the overtime thing that uh, is uh, the leap into the unknown, really. And uh, there are a few exemptions if you uh, arrange to have a home companion uh, without the use of any intermediary agency and you uh, don't let them do very much actual care for you and you uh, keep timesheets and you um, – it's already being called the, uh, the one sock 
uh, trap. If, if you, uh, for example, if they were doing laundry for the elderly person and you make sure that not one single garment in the load of laundry is for their almost equally elderly spouse, for example, uh, and you, it, they really are making it difficult to use the exceptions. So by and large, the great majority of people are going to be forced into the system of paying over care or, or overtime for care. And that uh, you would think that after the age of Obamacare, they would have thought through carefully what happens uh, when a labor market adjusts and people start cutting hours in order to avoid coming under certain rules. I don't know how carefully they've thought that through because the most obvious thing that many clients can do is to replace someone who is getting overtime, let's say a 12-hour shift, uh, say, sorry, you leave after eight hours and we're just going to hire someone else who also won't be getting overtime. So you have potentially the same number of workers, but they have to do two different clients apiece so they don't get overtime from either of them. Uh, as far as I can tell, that benefits absolutely nobody if it works out that way. It certainly doesn't benefit the patients who, uh, or, the, or the ones being cared for who have, suddenly have twice as many people, twice as many handoffs to have to worry about the medical errors and the nursing errors that are so typical at, at times of handoffs. Uh, and of course, it doesn't benefit the workers if that's how the, the market adjusts. In other cases, uh, really, there is no practical alternative to having a live-in or an 18-hour carer. And at that point, the question becomes, can you afford it? Some of this is private pay, and some of those private pay people are simply going to run out of money and have to go to institutions. Other is public pay. In California, for example, which has an unusually liberal program uh, to let people age in their homes, uh, they are uh, the uh, Brown administration is saying that it's going to cost the state $150 million right off the bat to keep uh, equally generous benefits under the new arrangement. And after things begin adjusting, who knows whether it will be more or less than that. It's certainly believed that many of the Labor Department's estimates have been underestimates of much, how much it will cost. So, uh, but just to understand it, for the workers themselves to try to reach some sort of agreeable situation with the people that they're caring for, they're going to have to uh, potentially simply stop working at a certain point for them. Right. The, this, as with other wage and hour laws, uh, it forbids voluntary consensual private contract. Uh, if you're saying I have to cut your hours back to eight hours a day and the worker says, no, no, uh, you know, I love working for you. Please let me go on into the old arrangement. That will be illegal and you will be exposed to big legal penalties for letting the old arrangement continue. And so uh, typically, I think home health workers would prefer, uh, in many cases, longer hours and fewer shifts per week. Exactly. It is... Um, it's a different kind of job. It is a job where, um, the, you know, much of the time is spent not, um, uh, you know, having to do much more than be a companion. And then occasionally there may be, you know, what watching for some medical thing going wrong. And other times they'll be helping someone take pills. But um, turning this into a two or three shift thing where if you want to be a medical companion, uh, you have to find two or three num times the number of clients. You have to begin commuting uh, a lot more. Um, this is not at all welcomed by many of the people who are currently doing this job. And there you have a division between the aspiring unions. Unions have managed to organize some of them here and there. And the unions, of course, like the idea of forcing people into formats where they'll be keeping timesheets and the union will be able to do more than in the decentralized individual current way of doing it. 
Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read his writings on this topic at Cato at Liberty at Cato.org. <laughs>